Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with senior cloud strategist, Amazon alum, and blockchain enthusiast, Steve Woodard. With over two decades of hands-on technical expertise, he has carved a distinguished career in systems engineering and global enterprise architecture, propelling digital innovation across some of the world's leading corporations, including Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and other tech giants. His track record of success spans across pivotal roles where he's orchestrated complex projects such as hybrid cloud deployments, digital transformations, and the implementation of super complex software solutions for Fortune 100 companies and varied sectors like energy, oil and gas, and financial services. We cover his life as a father, husband, and pro. Enjoy this interview. We'll, we'll run with it, man. Hey, it's great to meet you. You got quite a lineup of, of tech accolades, and I'm really looking forward to digging into what you do and who you are. And I appreciate it, man. Where are you coming out of? I'm in Tampa, Florida. Tampa, Florida. Yeah, I could use a little okay. Tampa weather today. We were uh, we were actually in the 70s here in Kansas City for the last couple of days, and now it's like 21 degrees outside. Oh my gosh! Well, go Chiefs! I mean, you guys won the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster ride, man. From you know going from that elation, I went to the parade and um, you know going through all of the you know shooting stuff and whatnot, but still. It's still weird to me to think that Kansas City has a really good team because we went through decades of darkness. Yeah, there definitely was a period of time where it seemed like you didn't. We were definitely some tough times there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was thinking at the uh, we were at the draft this year, and Tom Brady was one of the last picks of his class, and look what happened to him. Huh. Oh man. <laughs> It just takes that one person and it can turn everything around. So it's wild. But, uh, you know, I'd like to begin our conversation with getting through the pandemic. We're going on the four-year anniversary. How did you survive that time period and how did it subsequently change you? Well, that's a really good question. Um, you know, during the pandemic, my wife was pregnant with our twin boys. Um, so we gave we gave birth during the pandemic in uh, June July 10th of 2020. And it was the most profound experience because I became a new father for the first time. And also at the same time, it was during the pandemic where you couldn't have any contact with anybody. Um, you couldn't have a contact with your family. Um, and it really kind of was profoundly impacted on me because it really forced you to focus on being a, being a father first and foremost. Um, and of course, just focusing all your attention into just kind of bringing two new children into the world was a profound experience. So for me, the pandemic was was a way for me to get through. It was I was busy changing diapers and I was busy kind of, uh, you know, bottle feeding for probably a good four to five months. So when society started to finally come back to life a little bit, it kind of felt like I was already living in a bubble anyway. Um, so it seems like that first year just kind of flew by. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, that's wild. So let me ask you this. There's so many things that go into who you are. I mean, there's there, there's 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 so many titles and so many pieces of your history. I want to boil everything down right now and at this moment, 2024, to exactly what you do. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at career day. And one of the kids asks you, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? Sorry, Joe, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. 
Okay, sorry, uh, my audio cut out in that last question here. Can you please ask the question again? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. You're fine. So what I was asking was, there's so many pieces that go into you and who you are and your technology background. But at this moment in 2024, if you were in front of a bunch of third graders at career day and one of the kids was curious and asked you, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? Oh, I get to say that I get to work with the coolest tools in, in the world. Um, as a child, you know, they love to play with toys. They love to play with uh, Legos and, and building block and building blocks. Um, I do the same thing in my work. Uh, I get to work with puzzles. I get to work with really cool tools. And by tools, I mean technology. And that technology is a bunch of puzzles and widgets and gizmos. And it's by far the most fascinating thing because as a child likes to build, I love to build as a technologist. So I kind of tell children that, you know, that, you know, you can become a technologist. You just use different tools. Um, you know, my son loves to build trains and he loves to build log cabins. And I tell him, you know, someday you'll probably be an engineer and architect. You just do it in a different way. So if you really love to gravitate to the idea around building and structure and um, kind of a, a, an order to things, or you love to follow instructions with building a very complex type of, a, you know, kind of a play set, um, you will be a great engineer. You'll be a great builder. Uh, and that could be multiple things. Uh, and I'm reading to my son a book called I Want to Be an Engineer. And in that book, it's basically a little boy who gets taken to work by his mom. And his mom is an architect. And she takes him to a building site where he learns that there are different types of engineers that, you know, structural engineers, mechanical engineers. And it's an interesting way because as a child learns that they can do all these things in the world, there are so many things that you could do within just one discipline. It's really fascinating. Absolutely, it is. It all lends into a, a, all the tributaries lead into the bigger, bigger pond. Let me ask you this. When you were in the third grade, what was your dream? What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an astronaut. Okay. Um, I wanted to be an astronaut because, again, I was a child of the, you know, I, I was born in 77. So I grew up in the age of uh, uh, NASA and space exploration. Carl Sagan was my hero. And uh, I always kind of grew up wanting to gravitate towards something that was extremely kind of out of this world. And the great thing for me was watching all those uh, shuttle launches at Cape Canaveral. Um, so when I was a kid, that was kind of the, the, the glory days of the space exploration. Um, and of course, you know, of course that idea changed in, um, in April, 1986, when the challenger exploded, uh, it made you kind of realize is that you're not truly invincible. Um, you are a person and there are things in this world that, you know, could cause catastrophic human life or loss of human life. Um, so I kind of diverted my ideas from wanting to be, uh, an astronaut um, and started focusing on kind of some other different things. But uh, I remember being a kid, being obsessed with everything NASA. Um, and my whole room was decorated with NASA apparel and logos and all types of stuff. Because living in Florida, we live close to Cape Canaveral and we got a chance to see the shuttle launches and we would go see the old Gemini rockets. Um, and it was just a really cool time to be a kid um, and to really explore that was just uh, an amazing, amazing experience. I, I've always wondered about that. You know, I mean, I remember I, I'm 51, so I remember the magnanimousness of of that shuttle exploding and how big of a deal with Kristen McAuliffe going up. And we were all going to get that remote TV view of her in space a day later and just mm -hmm. how crushing that was. But I'm, I've always been curious when I see people watch the launch, what does it feel like? Do you feel any of 
the the elements, the heat, the wind. How does that? What's the visceral feeling of seeing a rocket go into space? Well, you're about a mile and a half away from that where the actual rocket launches, um, kind of outside the Cape, where we where we went to. I think um, you know the the impact. You, you you don't really see it until it starts to get probably about a good mile or two up in the sky, where you could start to see some of the um, exhaust from the from the jet burning for the jets burning. Um, you don't really feel anything, but you hear this just this enormous kind of this rumble and roar, which are basically these humongous um rockets firing a massive amount of jet fuel uh, and rocket fuel so you probably don't really hear anything or feel anything probably till about another three or four minutes after the shuttle launch which is of course it, that's the time it takes for that uh kind of that uh, implosion to kind of start to get to where we are but you hear it and what you feel you don't feel so much the heat uh you feel you almost feel connected to it in some sort of like kind of symbiotic way where you become almost one with the rocket where you feel its energy kind of kind of propelling uh this this giant fuselage into space uh where they're going to go do something amazing so for probably about a good 15 20 minutes you just kind of are almost mystified at, at this feeling you don't know what it is but it's something very unique uh it's something that you really can't explain too much unless you were kind of there to experience it but uh i guess the best way to put it in words is it's a very moving very compelling and very humbling experience uh to to witness a rocket being launched into space so how did you get into technology you've been in it for a while you're obviously very very decorated in the field how did this begin and how did it steamroll into your current evolution right now um, this is an interesting story because I never wanted to be in technology. Um, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with other things like becoming a professional skateboarder. Um, and of course a professional BMX biker. Um, that, that was of course my trajectory coming out of high school. Now, when I was a kid, I was, I was introduced to a very early IBM computer. Um, and these computers, you had to really kind of put them together and you really had to know what they were doing. They weren't kind of, they were the very early dawn of kind of like most of the PCs that we started to see around 1975, where they started to become more mainstream, more commercial with the advent of things like America Online, the internet, and like uh, most of the PCs. Uh, these PCs, you had to put them together and kind of do a little bit of some assembly and programming to them. I did this kind of as part of something I like to do as, as for fun. But when I graduated high school, I had no desire to go into technology. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a police officer or I wanted to basically be um, something that I had to deal with being outdoors, like a game warden or a forest ranger or something like that. That didn't turn out so well because I didn't know uh, the avenues to really pursue those things. And I didn't really have much of a passion for them. So um, kind of tossed around for a little bit, some uh, different type of jobs. And one day in the newspaper, when they actually used to put uh, job advertisements in the newspaper, Sunday after Sunday paper, um, I found, I found, an article that are basically a job ad that said, um, if you're good at computers and you're good at programming, come in and take this test. So I, I went to this uh, location, this place in Tampa, and I took this computer test. And about three days later, the guy called me back and he says, um, so we wanted to talk to you about the results of your test, uh, your computer test, and uh, you scored extremely high, higher than our average uh, basically applicants. And we would like to offer you a contract position working with one of our customers. And I said, sure. Okay, no problem. What is it? And it was for an opportunity to work in the programming department of Hewlett Packard. 
And this was right around 1997. So I went to go interview. And uh, the first job that I had was working for this very small division of Hewlett Packard. And I was working in their quality assurance department, working on and detecting bugs and software packages. Um, and what's interesting about that is that the more I started to kind of get a knack for, I'm getting pretty good at this. I probably could do something with this. I kind of used that to move into different roles within that company. Um, and that led me to the next thing, which was understanding large scale data centers and understanding technology just outside the world of programming. So that's kind of where it first began, but it didn't really start to accelerate until the dot-com boom right around the late nineties, everybody was, uh, I mean, all these internet startup companies and everything was going crazy. Everyone was into Microsoft and Cisco and all these startup companies were just going crazy. So I was riding the wave of, you know, the dot-com boom where hey, if you didn't like working for this company, you could always take your skills and move on to the next company because they were always hiring up until about the dot-com boom right around 1999. Um, so that's kind of where it started. Um, and then by by mere chance, I had gotten a friend of mine who said, if you ever need a job, let me know. I'll be happy to put in a good word for you at a company I've been working for. And I said, sure, no problem. Well, about a month later, I lost my job at this uh, small software company I was working for. And he said, let me put your resume in. And it got me a door. It got me an interview at a company, one of the big four, which was Price Waterhouse Coopers, in March of 2000. And they said, we'd like to offer you the job. Would you consider coming on board? And from there, it started this amazing journey that I never would have, I've never would have been in had I not been at the right place and met the right people. And I think most of this is really about meeting the right people that can help open the right doors. But it's also really just about your own type of ambition and where you want to take this career, which is what I find so fascinating. So that's kind of where I, I started. That's kind of what was a catalyst for my career. Um, and it was just an incredible ride. So on this journey for you, who's been kind of a hero or an inspiration for you? Well, I think probably one of the biggest things that I have to call out is I've had a really great mentor. His name is Mark Jones. I've worked with him for over 15 years. Um, he's been uh, such a profound mentor. Uh, he's had uh, I got paired up with Mark uh, many years ago um, as we were working together on projects. And Mark has been an inspiration because he's been in this field for 20 years, uh, 20, 30 years. I mean, so he's got way more experience. He was working as a consultant and he was uh, advising people at the executive level, the C-suites. Uh, so he was he was kind of at a different level than I was. I was kind of way down in system architecture and, and solutioning. And Mark was up top, you know, talking to CEOs around transformation and all this big stuff. Um but Mark was very, very much of a very impactful mentor to me to help me uh, sharpen my skills, sharpen my ability, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, um, and then take on learning to take on bigger tasks and more responsibility. Um, and then also just at the same time is just exposing you to a different world outside of your own bubble that is a whole nother bubble. So there's kind of like a bubble within a bubble uh, within technology. It's kind of like reaching a different level of the stratosphere. Uh, there are different elements to it. There is no ceiling. And I found out very early on that with the right mentor to help hone and sharp my skills as to what would it take for me to get to the next level? Mark would help lay out a blueprint and say, well, look, if you want to get to the next level, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to put in the hard work. You're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to study and you're going to have to get good at speaking. 
And I said, I was, I don't like to speak. I don't like speaking in front of crowds. I get stage fright. He says, you're going to have to get over that. Um, so there were many things that you were going to have to just get used to and get good at, uh, even beyond your comfort level. And a good mentor like Mark really helped shape and formulate that for me, which is why I, I contribute a lot of my success to him. Um, he was very instrumental in that. I, I don't think I would have done it without him. So is there someone alive on the planet right now that you find fascinating that you would love to meet and talk to? Probably Michael Saylor. Um, he leads MicroStrategy. Uh, and uh, Michael has probably been one of the most profound influencers um, in terms of technology because he's been able to bridge the gap between technology and finance and cryptocurrency and everything that we start to see. And this is a passion of mine where I start to see myself moving into the Web3 space around blockchain, around crypto and the metaverse and all of these new and fascinating things that are on the horizon from a technology perspective. Michael Saylor that leads MicroStrategy he's out there consistently kind of, you know, he's evangelizing. And when you listen to him, he's not just thinking about the here and now he's already kind of projecting and forecasting what is going to happen and how technology is going to transform and how technology is going to transform the way we do fundamental business, the way that we do traditional finance. He's just a very captivating figure, uh, Michael Saylor. And then of course, second person would probably be Jordan Peterson. Um, I've read a couple of his books. He's, he's made a profound impact on, how I conduct myself as a person and as a father and things that I should look at in my own life to help at least try to make me a better person. In his book, he said, be really good at one thing and try it for as long as you can and see what happens. And that comment just kind of echoes in my mind all the time, whether I'm working as you know an architect or working with customers, or if I'm at home with my wife, I'm trying to be a better husband, or if I'm with my kids, I try to be the best that I can be at that particular moment for as long as I can be. So those would probably be the two. If I could say one or two, those would be the top two. So what's the motivation for you every day to wake up, to not only be a solid professional in your field, but to evolve as a human being? What does that drive for you? I think it's a mix of two things. Um, number one, of course, um, it's constantly, I am a constant perfectionist. Uh, I am always striving to be perfect. Um, there's a downside to that too, is that you also get really upset when you can't be perfect. Now, I know there's a fine line between being a perfectionist, but I get up every day with a burning desire to want to achieve and complete something and to see it all the way through. Um, you know, I want to be as good as I can. I want to be the best at what I can do. Um, but I also know that that also includes something bigger than myself. You, you can't do it all yourself. Um, you have to do it in collaboration of working with others and work with others to help, you know, kind of help you kind of achieve that. Um, so I love people. I, I love to get up in the morning. I love the people I work with. I love the opportunity to collaborate with some of the brightest minds in the industry. I love talking to people. I love encountering new challenges. And I love being able to solve that really, really complex puzzle that we haven't really been able to figure out yet, but we're working to try to figure it out. And I think that's there's some elements in there that just really kind of create this burning fire for me to get up every day and keep going through this journey day in, day out. And I look at it like every day is an iteration. Every day is like kind of a day one. You know, there isn't like a Monday through Friday. My brain doesn't ever stop. Uh, it's constantly on. So of all of the things that you've done professionally, what are you the proudest of? Hmm. Think, things I'm probably most proud of professionally. 
is educating over 10,000 people, um, having a chance to be uh, an educator and an evangelist, um, and then having a chance to speak with people in large rooms at big conferences, big events, and then being able to kind of educate them or kind of see them, see them learn something new. Um, and, and, and afterwards they come up to you and say, you know, your talk was really inspiring. It really made me rethink how I want to go about either my career or it helps me rethink how I should probably go about working in this particular industry or what's what tools I need to use to get me to the next level. So I will do, I will do technical talks at conferences. I'll do trade shows. I'll do uh, meetup groups. Um, I'll do learning and education uh, sessions where I try to teach an upskill. I also go to as many young kids and colleges as I can. I'll actually call colleges and say, can I come speak to some of your students around what it's going to take to be a technologist uh, and some kids who are studying computer science? They'll say, sure, come on in. And just being able to just give them some part of my experience is really something I'm very proud of. So... Where do you see technology going? You know, we're on the advent of AI. It, it's, I mean, in our lifetimes, we've kind of talked about our age and where we're at. We've seen exponential growth. Where do you see things going? Are, are you optimistic? Where do you see it going? Well, I'm very optimistic. Um, I, I see huge amounts of potential in the AI market. Um, I always like to say that AI is a, a force for good. A lot of people are concerned about, you know, AI, you know, laying off jobs. I think it's, you know, I kind of use this analogy sometimes is that it's just like kind of when the internet came around, everyone was getting, you know, used to things like Microsoft Word and getting onto the internet and email and being able to do things like online deliveries. It really did start to transform kind of how we went about society, how we went about conducting business. Then you see the advent of social media, platforms like MySpace and Facebook. It really changed how humans interact. AI and Web3 and the metaverse, yeah, these are going to be game-changing type of platforms that we're all going to move into, whether we want to or not. They're going to push us into this, and society is going to come into this in these new environments, and they're going to be new things to play with. There's going to be new ways of going about traditional finance. Business models will change. Um, so I see a lot of good things happening, and good things I start to see are being able to have people connected, um, being able to perfect example is you know leveraging something like ai to help people start a business um i have a friend of mine who runs a marketing business and he's leveraging ai to be able to do many things that he would have to pay probably four or five people in his uh, you know you know a staff to be able to do things now that works well for him as a business creator but there are, are going to be tons of opportunities where people can adapt these tools and work alongside ai and metaverse and web3 and work is that we're kind of like how the internet was is it helps me carry out my job in a, a much more efficient manner than I could be if I didn't have it. You think about like what the pandemic did is the pandemic really shifted most of this technology to virtual. Many companies, people were not used to working this way. Well, over the course of two, three years, we all have started to get you. We started to get used to working remote, being online, being virtual. And that's just going to be another iteration of this technology wave is we're going to learn and adapt and we're going to find a way for it to basically be a companion and a force for good. So at the end of the day, everyone has a perception of you, Steve, your family, your friends, your clients, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Well, wow, that's a good question. Um, mm. Well, I, I, I think I am, um, I think I am a, a very um, forward thinking um, forward thinking 
and um, very competitive person. Um, but I'm also a good husband. I'm also a good father. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I love to say that I'm a great technologist, um, but I, I want to be able to say that I've, I've, I've made an impact in the world and being able to say I'm a good person and being able to say that I'm, I've given something positive to the world. And that's probably by being a good father and a great husband. Um, and then I think everything else beyond that will just take care of itself. And sometimes, you know, what people think of me doesn't really matter. Um, it's what my family and my friends think about. And um, the man that I want to be is who I am. And that's a person who thinks for themselves. And um, that's a very gratifying feeling. Well said, man. So if anyone out there wants to learn more about you, reach out, anything about your world, what's the good business? Well, you can reach me out. You can reach me on uh, LinkedIn. Um, that's probably my first platform because I don't use social media. Uh, <laughs> so uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, happy to talk to anybody who wants to learn more about becoming a technologist or who is just getting into tech. Um, if you're you know, a person who wants to learn how to kind of navigate the ropes, um, I would be happy to chat with you. So don't feel free. Uh, don't be scared. Feel free to reach out. I'm an open book. Anyone can contact me on any topic. Excellent, Steve. This has been wonderful, man. Thank you so much for opening up your story and your world. I appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. Thank you, Joe. Much appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Music